Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Um, I'd love if you've got a Bible um, to turn to Luke chapter 11. We're on this theme, which we started several months ago that we felt was for three weeks, um, called Do It Again, Lord, in our time. And then as it moved on, we sensed God was on it. There was something moving in the room and amongst our congregation, and uh, we felt it was uh, uh, important that we stayed here and didn't shift. So I want to read just a, a short passage here in Luke chapter 11. You'll know it as the Lord's Prayer. And the big question, I suppose, that spans it all at the moment is, how is our prayer life? How is your prayer life? How is my prayer life? A question that we should all ask ourselves. Here's what it says now. Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say... Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive, um, as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. He said to them, much of you who had a friend will go to him at midnight and said to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him and he will answer from within, do not bother me, the door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him what he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you if a son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Lord, I pray tonight that you will minister to us from your Word. I pray, God, that you would, um, that you would challenge us, God, in our prayer lives tonight as we Seek to ask you and implore you and knock on heaven's door and say, do it again. Do it again. Do it again. In Jesus' name. Amen. There is a, a strong feeling that, um, that God's doing something at the minute. Um, and we don't want to falsify that. We don't want to say it's something that it's not, but um, a few, a couple of months ago, I shared a story that I'm going to share again, so forgive me if you've heard it before, but to say a good story told, you can tell it as many times as you want. Um, so um, this, this story caught me in line of this story because when the disciples heard Jesus pray, something in them stirred. It says, when Jesus had finished praying, they said, teach us to pray. 
I never saw the correlation to lately between the two things. That Jesus was praying, and all of a sudden, as soon as he finished praying, the disciples, it would seem, it would seem, I'm alluding to this, and I'm suggesting that they're so awestruck, they're so caught up by the connection that Jesus just had with heaven, that Jesus just had with the Father, that they're saying, I want to do that. I want to be able to pray like that. It wasn't God, Father, or Jesus, teach us how to do miracles or teach us how to raise the dead. It was, teach us to pray like that. Now, <clears throat> this guy here on the screen is a guy called Elijah McCoy. I told the story a few months ago. Bear with me. He was born on the 2nd of May, 1844. He was born in Ontario. He was a smart dude. And um, when he was young as a boy, his, his parents actually had had escaped the slave trade and had come by underground sort of systems and had moved and lived in the, uh, and Ontario. They were quite wealthy at this stage and owned a bit of ground and stuff. And they realized that this boy, as he um, began to grow up, that he was a bit of a genius, showing really, really keen interest in mechanics. And so they sent him off to, of all places, Scotland, Edinburgh, Scotland, and they sent him to train as an engineer. And uh, which he did, and he, he became a certified mechanical engineer. And he, after his apprenticeship, um, he came back to live in Ontario with his parents. But despite his qualifications, he was unable to find work as an engineer in the United States due to racial barriers. Because he was black, they couldn't actually, or because of his, his, his process and because of his um, breed, he couldn't get a job. They wouldn't actually give him a job. And so he, uh, he, he, he went to work on the rail line, and he became a, 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 a stoker. And basically what he would do, he would shovel coal into the, into the boilers of the engine. That was his job. That's what he was doing. And so he, would, uh, he was a fireman. They would call him a fireman. And he was an oiler. And what an oiler did was what happened when the trains in the early days, the trains would just move down the track for a few miles, and because it was metal to metal, everything would seize up, and so the train had to stop. The oilers would get out. This team of oilers who were um, employed would get out, and they would oil the wheels. They would oil the axles so the train could move off and do another few miles, and then the train would stop, and the oilers would get out again, and they would... Um, keep doing this here. So you can understand the hours that this would put on a journey. And after studying the problem in the existing system in oil and axles, McCoy invented this system here. And it was became known as the McCoy lubricating cup. And what would happen, you would fill this cup with oil um, and there would be a release, just a drip release onto the axle. Those of you who are mechanically minded will understand that a little bit. And this oil would drip onto the axle. And of course, um, it just everything became smoother and, and times were caught back. And of course, even um, loads of people didn't have to be employed to do that. And so he patented this um, invention, which allowed trains to run continuously for long periods of time without pausing for maintenance. But they tell us that what happened was that it was a pretty unique piece of design. And so manufacturers, as is commonly known right through to today, decided to build replicas to it. And so they would make replicas to this and, and they would uh, try to sell them at a cheaper price. But they were useless and they didn't work. 
And so what happened was um, when someone went to buy this here for the railway, they made sure that they wanted to get the real McCoy. Now, um, there are loads of things on Wikipedia if you go in that um, whether that's what, where the, the term the real McCoy came from or not, some attribute it to whiskey, I don't know, but I like this one, all right? And, uh, and so when, when Jesus is here in Luke 11, when he prays, something catches these boys about the real McCoy. It's not, it's not false. It's not something that's not working. It's not something that's depleted in any shape or form. There's something that happens in this moment of Jesus' prayer life that catches. And you need to know that the devil is a master at counterfeit. He's a master at counterfeit. He's been at it from the beginning. So, so guilt and shame are not the real McCoy. Legis, legalism and policies are not the real McCoy. Paul said it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. And so loads of believers today are still living in bondage. They're still living in the, in the jailhouse, as it were, that doesn't even have a door on it, locked in by their own emotion and by their own wrong thinking. And if we're going to move into revival, because revival has to change the city. You see, renewal changes the church, but revival changes the city. And so renewal will happen in here, but revival will happen out there. And, and whenever revival comes, you, you can't hide it. The stories that we've heard over the last number of months of past revivals, you cannot hide that when it's happening. Something unique and powerful happens. The, the revival in 59 that hit in Kells here in Bellamina, actually it's interesting to know that the, the, it was a third of a third of Northern Ireland, actually at that time, came to faith. A third of the population of Northern Ireland came to faith at that time. You, can, you can't hide that. You can't hide that. It happens all over. And we need the Holy Spirit's presence. And we know that Jesus, the Son of God, did nothing outside the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. He was zero resistant. Remember, Adam Cox said that little phrase a few weeks ago. He was zero resistance to the Holy Spirit, and, and that provides an example for us to follow in. And we need the Holy Spirit's presence and power to change us into Christ-likeness so we can do the same. And we desperately need to be submitted and surrendered to the Father and to the Lordship of His Son in order to be filled with His power and presence. And so we need to decrease so that He can increase. And one of the things that we often say that we need to become like ice cubes in a bucket of water. And we begin to melt into the presence and power of God. Transformation cannot come. Listen to me. Transformation cannot come without the power of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. Those of you who have tried to clean up your act will know what I'm talking about. When you try to do it yourself and clean up your act and turn over a new page or a new leaf, it doesn't work we need the power of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, it's just simply a form of sort of behavior modification, all right? Um, not the real McCoy. And Peter, um, when he writes in 2 Peter 1, he says this. He says this, through his divine power, we may participate in the divine nature. You gotta, don't, don't let verses like this pass you. We're called to be participators 
We're not, just to be, we're not just called to be people to receive and be consumers. We're called to be participators. And through his divine power, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we actually get to participate in this story. God calls us into this story with him. And so my, my personal journey with the Holy Spirit, I often say a man with experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. And so people can argue all alike. But when we, when we get this knowledge of the Holy Spirit and the power and anointing of that life living within us, then we know there's something real about this. And the disciples witness this. The, di- the disciples just are in this process. They're just, they've saw the real McCoy. And nothing less will do. And when this happened, Jesus went on to teach them a pattern of prayer. He went on through the chapter that we've read, and he could see through the long prayers and the religious duties of the Pharisees at that time, he could detect their, their falseness. And so at the beginning of the series, we talked through a little process, a little acronym of P-R-A-Y um, that we felt was really important. It was in Pete Gregg's book, um, his, his, his new book, How to Pray. And we talked about this at the beginning of our, our practices series. And I think it's really important just to make mention of it tonight, that idea uh, in, in, in when Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray, he's teaching them a pattern for prayer. And as Pete puts it in his book, this idea to pause. Prayer is deep intimacy with God. So there's moments like this sort of mandate of for man to enjoy, like an Eden where man gets to enjoy communion with God, where God would come down in the cool of the day. And there was this moment in the day of this, of this first man, Adam, where they could pause they could pause and, and walk with God. And so the Lord's prayer begins with this, Our Father. It's this almost this pause moment that God um, allows us. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, when you begin to pray, don't forget to pause and realize just the, the dynamic of what you're about to do as you move into the presence of Father, this true identity of sons and God, sons and daughters of a heavenly Father, this journey of prayer, learning how to abide in his presence. There's a whole chapter about that in John 15, but abiding, abiding, abiding. I will say, when you're abiding, there's no hiding. All right, when there's abiding, there's no hiding. Something begins to, you, you begin, you get around people that are abiding, you, you sense it, something there. And then the, the, the R was to, the, the R, there's something wrong with this button or else it's my big thumb. The R is to rejoice all right, this intimacy with, with God is characterized by worship. He says, when you say our Father, then the next thing is, hallowed be your name. How holy are you? This idea of rejoicing. So you're moving from stillness and rest to adoration and wonder. And we become aware of who he is. And we begin to pour out our love and our affection to Jesus and praise him for who he is. And worship is the most wonderful way and the most natural and only probably real response that um, is worthy of seeing Jesus. So prayer and worship flow together, and we know in our prayer nights that we've um, enjoyed this so powerfully. And then there was the A, of course, the ask, and that was asking means bringing our request to him, give us this day our daily bread, all right? John Wesley puts it like this. Um, um, he says that prayer is where the action is. <laughs> right, David? Prayer is where the action is. And so we come into communion with God as we worship God for who he is. We align our hearts with his lordship um, and we begin to partner with his purposes on earth. I love this 
your kingdom come. I wondered when uh, Jesus prayed this great prayer, I began to wonder when God started to stir me about this passage a few months ago, um, I began to look at some of the great prayers of the Bible. I began to look at Paul's prayer to the church at Colossae. I began to study God's prayer or Paul's prayer to the church at Ephesus. I could talk on all of those tonight. I began to, to look at Moses' prayer when Moses went up the mountain um, in Exodus 17. And I began to wonder, it's great that Paul, we get to know what Paul prayed in those prayers to the churches um, and even personally to some of those people. But I, I, I get caught with wonder about Moses. I got, what did he pray? What did he pray for all those hours and hours when his arms got so heavy that he couldn't hold them up anymore and, and he had to, they had to get a, a, a little seat for him to sit on and Aaron and her, his two friends, had to stand at the other side of him and support his arms because they got weary. What happened? What happened in the story? What happened when, he, when, when, when Joshua headed out to the battlefield to fight the Amalekites and Moses started to wander up a mountain? Did they think the old man had got senile? Did they think he was getting a bit forgetful? Moses knew the battle's down here, not up there. And Moses goes up and the guy said, well, look, we'll follow him up and we'll look after him. You go ahead there and fight the battle. And they go up the mountain and here's Moses, he begins to lift his hands, he begins to pray. They maybe begin to wonder, what is Moses doing? And then somewhere in the journey, I don't know where it happened, but somewhere in the journey, they, Aaron and her, begin to realize there's some direct correlation between his arms and what's going on in that battlefield. When his arms are up, Joshua is, is overwhelming them. When his arms are down, the Amalekites are winning. We need to get these arms up, boys. We need to, we need to keep his arms up. I don't know where that transaction took place, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. When we pray this prayer, when we pray our ask and we say, God, may your kingdom come and be on earth as it is in heaven, that's a mighty big prayer. That's a mighty big ask. And it's not going to happen through a simple five-minute devotion in, in the morning before you go to work. It's, it's, it's going to it's going to take the work of prayer. It's going to take the skill of prayer. It's going to take someone, as we often say, to climb the mountain like Moses, grab the lapels of heaven, and pull, as it were, pull the, the heaven to earth. And that's what intercession is. I wonder what happened when, when Elijah prayed for rain. I wonder what he prayed. I wonder what happened when he, when he put his head between his knees that's what the Bible tells us in 1 Kings 19. He put his head between his knees. He began to travel. He began to groan in prayer. And then he gets up and he sends his servant to go and look for the, for the cloud, for rain. The servant comes back, said, no cloud. He says, go again. Servant comes back, no cloud. Go again. Servant comes back, no cloud. Six times he comes back. What happened? What was it that was so sure? What happened when his head was between his knees that made him so sure that this was going to happen before he was finished? What happened in the prayer life of these people? What happened in the prayer life of these people like Moses and Elijah that knew they had connection with God, just like Jesus here, that people could look on and say, I want that. I want to be able to do that. And God stirred me about this about a year ago, and I'm still in that place where I'm saying, God, I want to do that. 
And yet there's a, there's a cost to it. Because as we move on, we begin to see that the, 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 the prayer is the primary way that we can partner with God and we speak forth and we pray the things of the heart. We call this intercession and Jesus' dialogue with the Father in John 5. And he said, he says, I only do the things that the Father tells me to do. And so we ask and we, 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 we and this isn't just about praying for, this is about praying through. And if we're going to see revival come in our day, it's not just praying for it. There's a difference between praying for it and there's a difference. We, we, I illustrated this a few weeks ago, praying what happens in our prayer life. We pray for this here. This is the thing we're praying for. And we bring it to God like this here. And we say, God, we're praying for this, God. And God, we're, we're asking you to do this. And then when we leave the presence, we just walk away and we take it with us. That's, that's not how to pray in intercession. Pray is praying it through, leaving it with God and getting into a position where there's hands in the air or your head between your knees. I don't know, but praying it through and making sure that we actually hear God. And then we yield this, uh, our last one where we yield, the prayer starts and finishes with surrender and we open up our clenched fists in the purposes of God and we say, God, we're leaving it with you. God, will you do it again? God, will you do it again? God, will you do it again? It mightn't be the way we expect God, but will you do it again? And um, as we yield, we, we yield and we say, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, God. And Jesus shows the ultimate yielding to the Father in Gethsemane when he actually says, God, not not my will, God, if there's any other way, imagine Jesus praying this prayer, if there's any other way you could do this, God, would you do it? But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. This is the prayer of, of, of where he relinquishes everything to the Father, and it's the highest form of prayer and worship, something so powerful about that. A couple of little points before we get into worship. In Daniel chapter 11, if you're a studier of prophetic time, prophetic things and end times, you'll know it's the chapter where the kings of the north and the south come and then there's three kings and then there's a king richer than them all and then there's another one and all of that. It's very, and I haven't time to go into that. You should study it sometime. It's an interesting chapter. But um, in uh, Chapter 11, there's a corresponding link, chapter 11 of Daniel 32 with Matthew 24, where the disciples come and say, what, what, what will be the sign of these things? What, what's going to happen whenever, whenever the end of time comes? What's going to happen? I said, brilliant, maybe we should talk on it some night, it'd be great fun. But, um, and, and what happens is that in Daniel 11, it says this, verse 31 his armed forces will rise up to describe the temple's fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. They will set up the abomination that causes desolation. You read about it in Matthew 24 as well. With flattery, he will corrupt those who have violated the covenant. These are these kings, right? But then he says this. I love this. He says, but the people who know their God shall be strong and they will carry out great exploits. And I believe this is the day and age that God is raising up this people. This is the day and age. Now, let me just show you three little steps in this, all right? Here they go. The first one is the people who know their God. 
If you know any Greek or any Hebrew at all, you know that the Greek word or the Hebrew word for knowing in the Bible is the word yada, Y-A-D-A-H. Now, it's a very intimate word, and for the sake of some of the kids who are here, I'll not tell you just how intimate it is, but you can use your imagination, all right? Because in, in, in Genesis 4, 1, it says that Adam knew Eve, and she conceived and bore a son. That's yada. That's how intimate that word is. And he's saying the people who yada their God, the people who have intimacy, the people who know how to pray, the people who know how to climb into the presence of God, the people who know the real McCoy, the people who actually can say, Jesus, I want to do that. Jesus, I want to do what you just done. I want that yada. I want that connection with the Father. This yada is a powerful thing. It means to intimately pursue. And we know this. You can, you know, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. And so there's something about this love, this love affair that gives. When you're in love with someone, you give. And, and under that marriage covenant, you give yourself intimately, which is so beautiful. And then the second thing it says that you shall yada, people that, that know their God, they'll, 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 they'll be strong. Something will happen in them. Strength will come. And this, this word strong means to reveal, to harden the muscle and to strengthen the will. To harden the muscle and to strengthen the will. So people who yada, people who know their God, intimately pursue God, will, will have a, a hardened muscle and a strengthened will. And out of that, they will carry out great exploits. This great exploit is to produce, to have an effect, to press in. I am, next month I hit 61. And uh, Caleb has always been one of my heroes in the Bible. I love the story of Moses, but I love Caleb. Caleb, did you know Caleb's the only per person in the Bible that tells you his birthday? He's the only person in all the Bible where his birthday is recorded. Yeah. He went, to, he went down to Joshua and he says, I'm 85 today. <laughs> and he says, I'm str strong today. My eyesight's as good and I'm as strong today as I was 45 years ago when we left the land. And he says, I, I still want to do exploits. I still want, and actually, he, 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 he didn't look at the well-watered plains like Lot. In, in, in the story in Genesis. No, no, no. He said, give me, you know, you know the land he took? You, you know, don't you? The hill country, the land of the annex, the land of the giants. He says, give me the giants. And you know what? It goes on to tell us that he totally, absolutely obliterated them. This boy, Caleb. Why? Because he knew his God. God developed in him a strength of will, and a strength of muscle, and he carried out some pretty great exploits. And if we're going to do that as a church, I tell you, this is someday. This is not, and I'm saying this to you, this is not for the weak of heart. This is not going to be easy. This is going to be the hill country, guys. We're into the tough run. This is not for the squeamish. It's not for the people who are going to cut and run. It's, this, this is going to be tough. And hear, hear me in this, right? 
because I love revival and I love all the talk about it and I love all the history of it. But if we're going to see it, we're going to have to fight for it. And we're going to have to fight on our knees and we're going to have to fight in our compassionate and justice hearts and we're going to have to take a few knocks on the chin. And if you're not up to that, then you'd better quitting. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. I fear what happens to the church if we don't do it. I fear what happens to the church. Um, people who know their God will be strong, carry out great exploits. This is an interesting character, um, Kevin Carter. He, um, he, this is kind of what happened to him. I read the story, wept when I read it actually, and uh, because what happened to Kevin actually ultimately led him to take his own life. When he was only 33 years of age, he died by his own hand. And uh, you probably don't know who he is, but um, he, he was the guy who took this picture here. You've probably seen it, I'm sure. And Kevin Carter was a photographer. And during the time in 1993, when the United Nations were um, fighting against the famine in Sudan in Africa. And... Um, where this picture was taken in Sudan, there were around 20 people a day dying in this, this local little community dying of starvation, and around 20 people a day, which was pretty commonplace. And uh, the story behind this picture here is this little girl, she's a little girl, she was um, making her way to a feeding station, which was just nearby. And... Uh, um, she was on her way to that feeding station and she got overcome with weakness and she paused for a little break. And uh, because she was pausing and trying to regain some energy, this vulture landed, detecting the weakness and uh, smelling the death reeking already in her little body. And uh, Kevin Carter, this vulture <laughs> knew it wouldn't be long. And so he's waiting his moment. He's waiting on death to come so that he might have his feast. Now, the tragic image of this is that Kevin Carter positioned himself to get the prize photo. He positioned himself for the perfect picture and he captured it. And actually, so powerful was the picture that he, I don't know how to pronounce the, the word, but he would later win the Pulitzer Prize, P-U-L-I-T-Z-A-R, the Pulitzer Prize for this picture. He won a, an award and became very, very successful. Um, and uh, as this picture got famous, obviously a question began to arise alongside the picture. Um, what happened to the little girl? And this is where it all began to fall apart for Kevin because he, he didn't know. He didn't know. And in his haste to capture the picture, he failed to hang around and see what happened. And um, applause soon turned to ridicule. And I'm sure there were many other twists and turns in Kevin's story, but ultimately, a year after the photograph, he would take his own life in July 
of 1994. Now, when I read this story, it didn't say this, so I'm, I'm putting a little bit to it. It didn't actually say this, but the picture would imply, the picture would imply, I just came to take a picture. I didn't come to get involved. That's what the picture would imply. I just came to take a picture. I didn't come to get involved. And I think there's a call to the church, and I think it's appropriate for me to step in tonight and ask the question, did you just come to take a picture, or did you come to get involved? Revival is messy. Maybe Stevie and the guys have come. They're going to worship. Um, revival's messy. Um, it's not the status quo. It'll bend your head, rack your heart, break all the rules, but it'll be amazing. And hundreds and thousands. And hopefully millions of people in one last chance dance will be swept into the kingdom of God. And I think that's worth laying your life down for. I think that's worth living for. And I think that's worth dying for. And so as we come to worship tonight, I know this isn't the coolest message that you've probably heard in a while. But I just felt a challenge in my heart. I felt a challenge that we don't just play the game and we don't just talk the lingo. The Pharisees did that. Pharisees knew the scriptures, wore it in the little boxes in their foreheads, walked about the streets, mumbled it, said their prayers in public so everybody could see them. And Jesus just saw right through it. He just said, yuck, yuck, because it's not the real McCall. It's not the real McCoy. And so, if we're going to do this, it's going to be all in or else all out. And I'd love us tonight as we worship with a couple of songs. I don't want to prolong it. I don't want to make it what it's not. But I'd love us tonight to say, you know what, God? I'm not perfect. <laughs> I broke a few rules. I'm a bit messed up. I've let you down. But you know what, God, tonight? I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm all in. I want to see it. I want you to do it again in my day. I want you to do it again, Lord. I don't want you to, I don't want to hear the stories anymore. I don't want to hear even the stories of the past anymore, God. I want you to do it again today. And I want you to do it bigger and better and grander than it ever happened before, God. So nobody will be able to say, I've been there, done it, and got the t-shirt. This will be a new day and a new thing. We're created to be participators, to participate in the divine nature. I don't know what that does for you, but in me, it raises something. It says, God, I don't want to be a consumer. I don't want just to come, God, and get the goosebumps. I want to be a participator. I want to be all in, God. I want to come, and God, I want to give you my all. How little it is. It might just be your two mates. 
tonight it would be a great night to say, God, I'm all in. Our square up here is a place to do that. You might feel the need to move to do that. There's something about moving. We talked this morning about the word compassion in the, the Greek rendering actually means um, it actually has the connotation of bowel movement. It's like it's like bowel movement. You know that sounds pretty disgusting, but it's move, it's it's something that grabs you, and and there comes a point where you you can't actually hold it back. I know that's the yuckiest explanation you've ever heard, but I just I am passionate about this. I am so passionate about praying in revival. I'm so passionate for this next generation to, to, to do what we, we didn't even get to do. And the generation beyond that, if Jesus hasn't come, because this is about our kids, this is about our grandkids, about revival that just doesn't come and flee away again in a few weeks because we tried to control it and put rules and regulations into it. But a revival that actually changes the world. Imagine, you know, I'm, just, I'm, I'm, I'm foolish enough to believe, I'm just foolish enough to believe that it could start in Lurgan. I'm foolish enough to believe that it could start in Lurgan and influence the world. It could start in Lurgan and influence the world. You want to be part of that? Part of the greatest move in the last day? God, would you come? Would you stir our hearts tonight as we worship in Jesus' name? Let's um, fill the space. Tonight, if you're feeling God moving you tonight and you need to move a little bit. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.